Hey listeners, before we begin the episode today, just a quick shout out to those of you who are in active recovery. You know you want to date, but you're overwhelmed or frustrated with the process um, of dating and recovery. We have an opportunity just for you. Uh, check out our new website, One Layer Deeper, O-N-E, LayerDeeper.com, uh, where we have information about our weekend dating and recovery intensives. Uh, these are awesome. They're a lot of fun. They help you dive deep into the issues that uh, keep you from dating successfully, having the relationships that you want, um, and also helping you find the kind of people that uh, you won't avoid their phone calls after a first date. So uh, we have two events upcoming. We're going to have a weekend for women. That'll be October 11th through 14th. And a weekend for men. That'll be November 1st through 4th. Uh, So if I'm talking to you, active recovery, and uh, you're frustrated with the whole dating process and would like to experience a deep change there, One Layer Deeper is for you. So check us out at OneLayerDeeper.com. Hope you enjoyed the episode. for sharing podcast the podcast where we explore all things recovery healing and relationship remember to subscribe and download episodes in the itunes store the google play store or on the podbean app you can find more thanks for sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on facebook at facebook.com slash healing paths that's path with an s hi everyone welcome to thanks for sharing i'm jackie p i'm john t Today on our episode, we are going to be talking about critical thinking skills. So before you fall asleep and turn this off, I promise this will be engaging. Yes. <laughs> this is one of those things like in social work education, they hammered home critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. And when we decided to do this episode, I was like, I don't even know if I know what those are. Like That was one of those <laughs> things I was like, this is so dry. This is so useless. I'll yeah. just turn my brain off. So we're not doing critical thinking skills in order for you to write a uh, a paper for your job or your, uh-huh. you know, class. It's not that kind of critical thinking skill, but really, I think these critical thinking skills go under what I would say is emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think this is far more the application yes. of those critical thinking skills and so which is necessary in relational recovery. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So um, back in May. Jackie invited me on this um, magical life-altering adventure, and it really was. Like, I've never had an experience like that before. Um, We went to this uh, program. We had Leonard Bade on our show a little while ago. Yes. Um, Leonard was one of the ones that facilitated this. It's called the GLI, the Group Leadership Intensive. Mm -hmm. And it's all focused on group process and how to make that as effective as possible. For six days. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and, the, and the first day introduction, like, we, we did a little bit the first night. We all went to bed. We woke up the next day, and we started this 40-hour group marathon mm-hmm. where um, we we had to work on becoming the most effective group we could mm-hmm. be. Despite the fact that we were tired. We didn't know each other. And maybe got on each other's nerves. <laughs> we knew nothing about each other. Like, we went in with fake names. Right, like, right. Like, we didn't really even go into our histories and things like that. And, and I have to say that... John and I did such a good job that at the end when we people could disclose that on the sixth day when we could say we know each other quite well and work together, people were floored. You know what did that? I think it was my um, 
my native attunement to not being relational. Like, I can just turn that on <laughs> and I can ignore you. And I can do that quite well, too. I just put up walls. I'm like, yes, who are you? I don't know. <laughs> um, so there was, there was a piece of this that um, I think one of the lessons I walked away with that was surprising to me is whenever our group was working on solving a problem, mm-hmm. um, the facilitators would ask us, do you even have a process that you're going to go through to solve this problem? What's your process? What's your process? And I remember thinking, like, we're just going to talk about it. Like, we'll find a mm-hmm. solution. And we even did a couple of designs, a couple rounds around, mm-hmm. like, making a structure for problem solving. And um, it was interesting as we got into, like, day four and five and we were doing some more mm-hmm. of this problem solving as a group, somebody would pipe up and say, why don't we use our problem solving structure right. that we came up with? And it was cool to see the group, like, this was something that we had come up with. People trusted it. We used it. And yeah, we had consensus on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it surprised me, too, that that problem-solving structure didn't come out of like, oh, well, I know this really well-researched thing, and this is what we need to use. It was more like, what makes sense to us? Right. And let's put out a process that we can hold ourselves to. Right. And we brainstormed quite a few things and then mm-hmm. narrowed it down to yeah. a simple process that could be applicable amongst a lot of mm-hmm. um, situations. Mm-hmm. And that's really what critical thinking is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like this, I'm usually emotionally connected and now I'm hyper-intellectual. Um, simply what, what critical thinking is, is this awareness of and commitment to a process for thinking through mm-hmm. problems, like covering mm-hmm. all your bases. Um, it reminds me a lot of the research by Amos Tabersky and Daniel Kahneman. Um, they wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, and this research won a Nobel Prize several years ago and it was it was their research into the two different systems in the brain they call them system one and system two Mm -hmm. system one is like your lightning reflex your intuition um system one gathers information really quickly it makes uh quick decisions um system one can be really accurate um, Mm -hmm. and it's definitely necessary for our survival did they talk at all about um like left brain right brain um because the way you describe it, system one sounds a little bit more right brain, yeah. and system two sounds more left brain. Yeah, I I don't remember because it, I, I in full disclosure I didn't get through that book because the narrator was awful. So I think I started that book and <laughs> I didn't get very far at all. It's it's one of those that like every few months I'm like I could do a half hour of this on the way to right? work. Right, <laughs> it's kind of like reading a textbook. Right. Right. Um, but system two they talk about as the much slower system. And this is the system that will evaluate and reevaluate and has these recursive loops for making decisions mm-hmm. and, and evaluating information. So I feel like on our podcast, we put a lot of emphasis on system one mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people don't recognize how much they use it and how mm-hmm. much they need to trust it. And this episode, I think, is much more of a system two episode. How do mm-hmm. we deliberately slow it down and really yeah. maybe get our... And, and when we talk about deliberately slowing it down, we're not talking... Like, really slow. Like, take months. Right. Or even sometimes days, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in a conversation, Mm -hmm. these system two can come on board and be helping us navigate what we're hearing and and what we're interpreting and inferring from that. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we're um, slow or like not keeping pace with a conversation. Right, right. I think so. I mean, we may be talking slowing it down nanoseconds yeah 
Yeah, and and certainly slowing it down internally. Yeah, to where we're a lot more deliberate about how we are interacting, how we're communicating, and why we're yeah. doing that. And and I think what that does is it allows um, system one, which can be a little bit more reactive, mm-hmm. or it can get charged a little bit more, mm-hmm. and and system two can be can be informed by system one. Mm-hmm. But it's not blindly informed by system one. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, Jackie did a lot of research and um, found some similarities in the articles out there on critical Mm -hmm. thinking skills. Most of the critical thinking um, articles that I came across had more to do with like maybe if you're writing a paper or doing a project at work, Mm -hmm. weren't necessarily in this relational exchange of information. Yeah. But but we are taking some of those and then moving them into kind yeah. of what that would look like in a relational situation. That's that's going to be our spin on it. Yeah. As, as yeah. always. So, let's let's dive let's in. Let's talk. So, I would say um skill number 1, you know, most of them talked about identification. Mm-hmm. Um now I I would add to this to, or to expand on the ident- identification, right? Identification has to do with um, identifying the problem or identifying maybe um, the the factors that are influencing what's happening. Mm-hmm. I would also add, you know, maybe as a side or a slash to identification would be awareness. Yeah. And and not just awareness of what's happening and what's being said, but but right, I think this the more that we know about ourselves and are comfortable with ourselves. And that includes, you know, the good, bad, the ugly, the otherwise. Mm-hmm. But we know that when something is happening, and we're going to get to this one later, right? As we're aware of who we are and how we are, mm-hmm. that's that's part of us being aware of what we're bringing to the table and to yeah. the, this conversation. Yeah. And I, I think the other side of that coin is identification of the other. Right. Um, I recently talked to one of my clients who um, has really been kind of milling through some resentment and fear and anger in his four steps, particularly toward his family of origin and his parents. And um, he recently told me he had a conversation with his mom that was very frank. Mm. Um, And he did a really good job at holding this like, this is what happened to me. And he could feel that there's anger and resentment, but he's like, I didn't lead with that. Mm-hmm. I led with like, here's the facts. And he's like, I was shocked. My mom started telling me more of her story. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that story didn't lead to forgiveness yet, but it has led to a deeper understanding. And he started to outline like, here's some things that happened in her childhood that I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. know about. Mm-hmm. And it really starts to explain how she could be so tuned out. Mm. and how she got good at that. And he's like, I'm looking at that now, and I still feel like as the parent, she had some responsibilities she didn't shoulder. But It didn't diminish the impact mm -hmm. he felt as the child. Mm -hmm. But he's like, I'm understanding, and I feel much more open to the possibility of a relationship there because I can see her as more of a human being. Uh I can see her as more multidimensional. And I think that's that's a difficult part relationally of the identification process is because we make these system one snap judgment theories about people and we often have to put that on the back burner and really investigate, really take the time to know Mm -hmm. because we can get trapped in some really unproductive exchanges because we don't really know who it is we're talking to. 
Or like I'll say to clients sometimes if they're going into a conversation, right? This could be at work. This could be in their relationship. could be with family of origin. And I'll say to them, you know, maybe they'll say, do you have any advice for me? And I'm like, you need to hold on to yourself Mm -hmm. as you go in there. Like, don't lose that, right? Don't, um, I feel like if we don't lose hold of ourselves, then we don't have to get really big Mm -hmm. and we don't have to get really small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, so number two. Um, Number two, they, they kind of, most of the articles would term as research, right? Now, if we're in a conversation or if we're being relational, it's not really good to be like, hold on, I'm going to go look for research. Do not be that person. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to look for research that proves you wrong and me right, right? And we have clients that will come in and that's how they handle their relationships. And we're like, that's not relational. That's how they handle their therapy sometimes too. (laughs) True. Why aren't you doing this? The research says. Yes. So some of that research, again, is going to be the work that you've already done. Right. I, I had somebody the other day call me and they're going into the field of social work. They're finishing up their bachelor's degree. And they call me and say, can I ask you some questions? I have to interview a social worker. And I get those calls all the time. I said, sure. Seriously? So, I didn't know that came along with the license. <laughs> I, I don't know even how they get my number sometimes, but usually it's so-and-so knew you and I know them and I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so the last question that she asked me, right, was what advice would you give to a brand new social worker? And I said, um, you have to do your own work and you have got to do the work of confronting the self. Mm-hmm. And, and I just said, all of us, at any given time are in a certain percentage of denial, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we have to be in some kind of denial about the statistics of car accidents to get in our car and drive to work, right? So, and and some of the denial is harmless, right? And allows us to function in our life and not, you know, be agoraphobic. Um, But there's other things that maybe through our privilege or our experience, we've never really confronted and we have some serious denial about that. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you, you have got to do that work of, I mean, if, if you need healing, do that work, Mm -hmm. but following the healing, there has got to be this confrontation of the self. Mm -hmm. And so that you have that awareness and you know the ins and outs of who you are. Yeah. In, in ethical clinical research, one of the sections that has to be explored is, what stake do the researchers hold in this and what mm-hmm. influence might that have on the outcome? Um, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, my, my wife and I will, will say to each other, like, we are a medical trauma family. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a lot of hospitalizations, a lot of, like, out-of-left-field illnesses. Our, our joke about her is if there's if there's an outlying side effect, she'll have it. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the things that we had to confront at one point was this bias that I had, and I learned it really well from my dad, how he, quote unquote, took care of a really depressed mom. This identification that came along with being the hero who was well and mm. could take care of all the sick people. And um, I had to come to terms with in in my wife's journey to you know getting well and finding out what actually needed to be treated and what needed to be worked on, I had a stake in that not changing because I had identity wrapped up in this, like, Mm -hmm. I can totally do this cruise control hero thing. There was value and worth that you got out of that role. Yeah. And so there were, there were things that scared me for her to look at, not because, you know, we might find out about some big diagnosis, not just about that, but because like, well, who am I going to be when, 
you're healthier. Right. When I'm not the caretaker. When I'm not the caretaker. And that, um, I think some of that research includes coming up against those biases and the stake that mm-hmm. we hold and things staying the same. Mm-hmm. Um, cause relationships are always dynamic. They're mm-hmm. always fluid. And if they're not one or both people are asleep at the wheel. Yeah. One or both people aren't involved. Yeah. We recently started just this week, we started up our advanced men's recovery group. Mm-hmm. And they, the, the men who were coming from the last round of groups that we did, um, and, you know, some new add-ins to this group, but the last round had kind of said in, in this round of groups, which is a 12-week um, uh, cycle, um, they said, we want to focus on relationships and not just like dating romantic relationships, but relationships across the board. And, you know, so we started this group and we kind of asked the question, like, where did you learn about relationships? And I mean, everyone was there was like my family. I mean, starting with my parents. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's such a critical to start looking at and saying, you know, because we said, where did you learn about relationships and what did you learn? Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of fun as a therapist. Right. Sometimes we have twisted sense of what fun is. Um, I've had to learn not to use that word with my <laughs> clients to describe what we do. <laughs> but it was kind of fun because as several of them were talking about, this is what I learned. And then all of a sudden you'd see this light go on and they're like, wait, that's what I'm doing in my relationship right now. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. repeating the pattern. And it was just this. And, you know, I'm over there like silently clapping. Like, <laughs> Yay, we're getting off to such a great start. Um, but, I'm sorry and you're welcome. <laughs> right? Um but I, I think that we are learning so much when we are young and we're not willingly learning it. Yeah. We didn't give consent to learn this. Right. And sometimes we're not even fully aware of what we've actually learned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think another way that we do that research is in vivo as the conversation is happening or the relationship is unfolding. There's sometimes we need to circle back because... Um, as human beings, I think it's really difficult to get our intent clear right out of the gate uh-huh. and to get our behavior to align with our intent. So there's sometimes in a relationship where you're going to notice, hey, what you said yesterday isn't matching with what you're saying today. Right. What you did yesterday, like it seems like there's a different set of rules now. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of us shy away from that because we have examples of how that's done really confrontationally mm-hmm. and not usefully. Um but that ability to go back and say, help me understand because my mental map of you is changing. Right. I'd say that's another example of that relational research is we, 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 we continue to summarize and evaluate the data we have about that person and ask them for updates, uh-huh. ask them for clarifications. Yeah. So the next one um, is identifying our biases, right? And if you don't know yourself, you cannot identify your biases. And if you don't think you have biases... Um, Look you harder. have a bias. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's right. called we, the self-confirmation bias. <laughs> we all have biases. And it's not bad. It's bad if we don't know what they are and yep. we keep leading with them. Yeah. Um, but I think just the way our human nature is, we take the experiences that we have mm-hmm. and we project them out into mm-hmm. our external world. You know, one of my favorite bias checks comes from Patrick Carnes. Um, in, I think he talks about this in the Recovery Start Kit. And he tells that story of watching this woman say goodbye to her her fiancé at the um, airport terminal back when anyone could come to the gate. And um, it's this, like, hugging and kissing and I'll miss you so much. And he's thinking inside, like, oh, come on. 
Yeah. Like, it's going to be three days. You'll be fine. (laughs) And he's seated behind this woman on the plane, and she's sitting next to someone who's not her fiancé. They said goodbye at Uh the gate. And he notices that they're talking, like, she's leaning in, she's being flirtatious. And his first thought is, isn't that just like all women? Yeah, can't trust any of them. Yeah. And and so I really love that bias check of, like, complete this sentence as many times as you need to uh-huh. to excavate this. All women are. Yes. All men are. Because um, I, I think some of the first biases we start to take on are the gender biases. Yes. Um, we get messages about ourselves. We get messages about... The opposite. The opposite mm-hmm. gender. And, and I think it's this... Oftentimes, right, sometimes when I'm talking with clients about some of their biases... Um, we it leads us right into the wound. Yeah. Um, sometimes, right, the bias may lead us into the family wound, mm-hmm. or you know, and, and sometimes these are privilege, mm-hmm. um, but the family didn't talk about it as privilege or a bias. Um, they talked about it. Um, I, I will refer sometimes where in a family we can have the self, right, the individual can be neglected, mm-hmm. or the self can be indulged. Mm-hmm. And neither of those really work out well for the individual. Mm-hmm. If, if their self is indulged, right, we're setting up for narcissistic type behaviors mm-hmm. and thinking I'm better than everybody mm-hmm. else. That's going to be really difficult to engage in a relationship with somebody like yeah. that. It's also difficult, right, if you think that you are less than everybody. Mm-hmm. That's going to be hard to be in a relationship because mm-hmm. you're not going to really believe why this person would like you. Yeah. And eventually the person's going to be like, I don't know why I do. I must have a problem. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, especially if you keep testing them right. to make sure they do like you. And those biases can come across money, privilege, socioeconomic mm-hmm. status, religion, race, like all sorts of biases. Mm-hmm. And and before you get overwhelmed with, oh, my gosh, I have a million of them, mm-hmm. because we all do. Um, the, I heard some research on this recently um, on NPR that said um, biases don't really change over right. a lifetime. right. And so before you start thinking about, I have to change all this, what is effective with biases is strategies for adjusting that bias. Mm -hmm. So again, you have your system one, which is the bias. System two would say, I recognize this as a bias. Here's my workaround. Yes. So, and that's what I'll say maybe less eloquently, but um, you're going to have an initial thought or Mm -hmm. response and you need to have a second one. Yeah. Right. So... Because otherwise, or another way that biases come to us is also through just our not knowing, yeah. right? It, it's outside of our experience wheelhouse. Bra- brains hate incomplete information, yes. so we're always filling in the information, and right, that's where right. the biases lie. Is. And, and sometimes that may be, right, this is kind of the term mansplaining, right, where <laughs> where men are trying to explain to women their experience, and we're like, you've never been a woman, And probably aren't listening to women, so stop telling me. So I just had an idea for episode 100. We were talking about this before we turned on Because we're coming up on it. Yeah, this is number 98, 99. Next episode, we have Deb Kaplan on, and 100, we're like, what are we going to do? It's got to be special. Um, I've always wondered with you, in doing this podcast with you, I explain things, and Uh sometimes we put a finer point on what each other says. So I think episode 100 needs to be Jackie giving John feedback on mansplaining. (laughs) And breaking that down. No, I actually think you're fairly um, well informed as, as a male on that. Okay, well <laughs> say then that without sounding too haughty myself. Here's, here's the <laughs> here's the change in pace. Then we're going to have an episode where John mansplains everything. Okay, and then by the end, Jackie's <laughs> mad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. I'll put it on the okay. schedule. 
Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's what we're going to say about identifying biases. The next one is inference, right? We now have some information, Uh hopefully using system one, system two, and now we're going to start to infer Mm -hmm. what their meaning is or what our meaning is or we're going to be bringing, um, we're going to interpret the data. This is something that I've seen people so terrified to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we, When we did our dating and recovery intensive for women back in June, by the way, we have another one coming up in November for men. Um, we, we looked at this group of women who had a really difficult time acknowledging that they made inferences and voicing those inferences. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is so, so key. And there, there can be a million judgments that come in that say, don't jump to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, in any kind of problem solving or critical thinking, I think we have to take risks. Like, we have to venture a guess and then be willing to go back to the start of this mm-hmm. critical thinking skill set and rework Mm-hmm. Rework that guess. And, right, as we work with couples, a lot of times one of the things that we teach them, and it's hard for them to get into this, and once they do, it works so much better, right, is that we're saying you don't have to get it right. Mm-hmm. You just have to own it and yeah. say, this is what I'm hearing. Is that yeah. right? Is this what you just said? Is this what you mean by saying yeah. this? Right? We don't have to, like, be like, I downloaded that information and I've totally understood it, right? Mm-hmm. We're not robotic. Mm-hmm. Um but checking that out and saying, okay, so this is what I'm inferring. This is how mm-hmm. I'm interpreting this and the meaning that I'm mm-hmm. assigning to it. And now i got to check it out. Mm-hmm. And and Gavin DeBecker in his book, The Gift of Fear, he would say that when we just start inferring, we start pulling on data that we don't have conscious awareness right. of. Right. And that's important, too. Yes. Um, that can expose some of the biases. That can really help us to bring System 1 and System 2 together uh-huh. so we can look at our our quick assessments and we can look at our more methodical assessments. Um, And I think inference relationally is is really important in building understanding. Um, I forget, I learned this number once and I need to go back and and really learn it, but there's there's like a ridiculous number of coding and re-encoding information when information is spoken and there's even more when it's written Mm -hmm. and even more when it's written and read. Mm -hmm. So like there's a lot of room for things getting lost in translation between two people mm-hmm. even when you're speaking the same language. So, relation- In 240 characters or less. Right. <laughs> I think that's what Twitter's thing is. Right. Um, and and when we... Um, now all I'm thinking about is our world's biggest Twitter star. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, so that inference, <laughs> that inference relationally, what that is, is it's really that what I heard you say skill. Mm-hmm. Or what I'm taking from that skill. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it opens up a lot of generous room for that person to give us feedback. Yeah, you got that right. That mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Or, no, we're missing something yes. here. That's, or that's even to I'm, say, I've, I've done this before where somebody will say, so this is what I'm hearing. And I'm like, yes, and uh-huh. let me add to that, uh-huh. right? Or, yes, you're hearing that. That's not what I want you to (laughs) hear. Right. That's not what I'm trying. I I don't uh want to mean that. But, Mm -hmm. yes, you did hear me correctly. And I've had had recent experiences with close friends where what was being communicated and what was being inferred um, was correct based on my behavior. But there were things I needed to work out. So mm-hmm. like the message, the message that was being sent was not the message that I wanted to send. Mm-hmm. And that opportunity to check the inference gave me an opportunity to do some work. Like it really helped me to hone mm-hmm. in on what is going on 
and what is it that you want to change? Yeah. And and so when you are kind of inferring something and you're checking that out with the other person, we often say use their words as much as possible, mm-hmm. right? Don't mm-hmm. don't start to um, let your biases creep into what they're mm-hmm. saying. Or and catastrophize s- it in extreme right. language. So we're trying to use their language that it came to us with in, in mm-hmm. giving it back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the fifth skill in critical thinking has to do with determining relevance, mm-hmm. um, right? We talk a lot about let's not get off in the weeds yeah, and let's come back to here, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be able to determine what is the relevant information and what can mm-hmm. be eliminated. You know, my, my favorite um, Jackie staffing cases moments are when <laughs> you have those conversations with clients where you look at them and you say, I'm not chasing that one down. Like, <laughs> that is not relevant to what we're what we're saying. And and determining relevance is not about you know sitting on this like chair of privilege and power where we know what's right and what's not. Uh-huh. It's more staying focused on what's our stated problem, like what's right. the stated goal, because there is a whole lot that is not relevant to what we're trying to solve or what we're trying to do that comes up as we're trying to solve it uh-huh. and do it. Uh-huh. So this to me is kind of a reorganize. Right. Reorient. Right. And and so somebody may say something that you're like, oh, but that may not be relevant. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you get caught up on that, yeah. then you're not really using critical thinking skills mm-hmm. and, and identifying what I need to be focused on. We, we see this all the time in couples that we work with. And I think this is one of the hardest skills that I, I work with couples on, which is listen to the words, not the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, because the majority of the rest of my couple's work is all of the communication is happening between your bodies Mm. and it's the stuff we're not saying. Right. And so there are times when we're trying to get the message across to our spouse or our partner or whoever we're in a relationship with and the emotions are high and we can't, we can't check that. Yes. But again, it's like that system two is coming on board and it's saying, I know I'm feeling this, but this is where I want to get with Uh you. And so the tone in that, case may not be relevant right it may be just the words if you can just listen to the words Mm -hmm. where can we move this and and that can also be some of right if if i get caught up on the wrong things um that can be a way that somebody's really getting me off their trail Mm -hmm. right or Mm -hmm. or all of a sudden you know maybe they are giving me feedback about myself that really is a projection mm-hmm. of them projecting something mm-hmm. onto me. But I got caught up on this one mm-hmm. thing that they said, and all of a sudden I'm trying to prove that that's not the thing. And I'm missing the fact that they're gaslighting me or that they're distracting me or that they're projecting yeah. onto me. Our more narcissistic clients have really given us a lot of opportunity to practice. Right. We've learned skill. so much from them. Right. <laughs> um, because there is a lot. Like, I, I remember sessions where there were three topics we discussed the whole session, and it was this circle of, like, pain and confusion, and none of it was relevant right. to the issue. And I remember I remember leaving some of those early sessions and thinking, like, that wasn't even what we started talking about. That, that right. wasn't even the issue. I asked this question, and we were off to the races, mm-hmm. but not the race that I intended. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I would say relationally, when it... When it comes to building the space between the two of us, relevance is determined by both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there there would have to be some yielding for us mm-hmm. where we may not feel like this is important or relevant. Right. And our partner may feel like this is the most important relevant thing. So there's negotiation that goes on there in right. a relationship. And, and I think that some of what um, System 2 kind of gets at is it helps us be objective 
mm-hmm. instead of subjective, mm-hmm. right? Now, sometimes with clients, we say to them, I want you to be subjective right now, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to say, when, when you're saying, here's my perspective, you're being completely subjective. Yeah. And that's okay. We want that, right? Absolutely. Being subjective isn't always wrong. Yeah. But if we're being subjective and we need to be objective, we don't want to cross those those two and get it mixed up, right? And and so some of this um, determining the relevance really is being objective and kind of taking a step back mm-hmm. so that I'm not in the middle of this, mm-hmm. so that I can hear, I can infer, I can mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the last one, the last skill, um, number six, is curiosity. And we've talked about that before mm-hmm. in different episodes. Um, developing the skill of curiosity will help you in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I like This has probably been one of my favorite pieces of working with the clientele that we do. And um, I, I love helping my clients to set that template of curiosity. Uh-huh. And it's the most exciting to me when they come back after lots and lots of work we've done and they're facing this problem and you hear them asking questions yes. to themselves about it. Well, we've recently, um, in the summer, kind of slump of you know not having anything to watch. Um, <laughs> we started watching a lot of um, co- comedians on Netflix. Oh, right? yeah. And I'm watching them and I'm like, they've just perfected the art of curiosity and taken it to an extreme. Yeah. Right. And they ask questions about things that most of us miss completely. Um, And so that, you know, in art form, it looks like comedians. Mm -hmm. Um, But that curiosity of just kind of being curious, like what Mm -hmm. is going on for them right now? Like, Mm -hmm. wow, they look really upset. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what that's about. All of a sudden, that curiosity really allows us to kind Mm -hmm. of take a step back so that we can be objective. Yeah, and I think it's impre- it's appreciating in the relational space the the learning is never done. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like it's not like this is a skill that's like, oh, it might make your life a little better. It is necessary, I think mm-hmm. in relationships to keep curiosity cultivated. Right. Um, cuz otherwise that relationship is starting to die. Yeah. Yeah. And and one last thing on curiosity, I would say, you know, sometimes I mean, I've had people say things to me like you did this, you did that. And because I'm aware, I've done my research on myself, right? I can say like, mm, I do sometimes have a tendency to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes I'm like, but I didn't do that here, yeah. right? That's not me This in this moment, right? So I, I can differentiate that. Other times I have to be like, why am I doing that with this person? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I don't feel safe. Maybe I don't fully trust them. Mm-hmm. And what is that about, right? Maybe I'm, I'm tr- mistrusting them, but I don't need to. Yeah. Right. And and so again, that curiosity keeps me from falling into shame. Like if they're saying, you know, for example, you're stepping on my toes emotionally, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, yeah, sometimes I can do that, and I have to figure out why I'm doing that in this instance. Right. That curiosity also keeps me from going into shame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's. Um, I think it's Peter Levine talks about curiosity as one of the signs that we're coming out of trauma uh-huh. and I think curiosity is is definitely a marker of of shame resilience because yes. what it means is my I feel safe enough in my world to explore it mm-hmm. yeah so hopefully this was helpful going over some critical thinking skills and that you can use that in your relational recovery and add that as a um Uh, component of emotional intelligence yeah we want to remind you at the end of this episode that your story matters remember there's something meaningful in every chapter 
Don't wait to share your story with us till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.